Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. You know, for many years, various indicators suggested that academic achievement has been declining for many of our students. In fact, during the COVID-19 pandemic, those concerns were only heightened. And for instance, statistics from the National Assessment of Educational Progress indicated that the largest drop in reading scores since 1990 occurred between 2020 and 2022. Today, we'll be discussing a recently released study titled How Kids Are Performing, which analyzed academic achievement during the 2021 to 2022 academic year. My guest is Dr. Gene Kearns, Vice President and Chief Academic Officer at Renaissance, a global education company committed to accelerating learning for all children of, uh, and adults of all ability levels. Dr. Kearns holds various teaching and administrative positions prior uh, to joining Renaissance. Dr. Kearns, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. We appreciate the opportunity. Very good. I, I want to set the stage before we start, uh, before we begin discussing uh, the actual report that was released by just getting your impressions pre-pandemic of sort of where the trend lines were going in student achievement, particularly in math and science, which is what we'll be focusing on today. So I want to get to the pandemic, you know, and, and focus on that. But what was happening prior to the pandemic? Well, prior to the pandemic, I mean, if we look at, at NAEP as one of the largest sort of longitudinal data sets that there is out there, um, you know, we've been seeing modest increases in mathematics. Um, language arts, oh, actually, surprisingly, has been relatively flatlined. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's always the ability for something to hide behind the averages. It's one thing to say, here's the average or the mean score. Another thing is to break it down by different subgroups. And even though the mean score looked kind of flatlined, in the case of literacy, there were some instances where some kids were really kind of bottoming out. And, you know, the, the tremendous irony of that is uh, literacy is an area of such intent focus, uh, you know, top priority in so many places. So that was very, very alarming. And, you know, just prior, literally, as the pandemic was hitting us, uh, the Council of Chief State School Officers had combined or convened uh, two literacy summits because the last round of NAEP data prior to the pandemic was also flat mm -hmm. in literacy. So modest increases at best in mathematics uh, and some alarming, at least flatlining, potential declining of subgroups when it comes to literacy. Now, Renaissance is an organization um, that, that, that you're with, obviously. You, you have expertise in assessment and then helping schools. I'm going to put this on my own words, do strategic planning around improving assessment. Is that a fair characterization from your perspective? I think so. It is. We are a provider of interim assessments. So if you think of NAEP, it's an annual snapshot. You know, mm -hmm. one day, take a picture, uh, a sampling. Uh, while we and several other you know, major providers are helping people with an ongoing feed of information, um, you know, most kids are taking our assessment maybe three times a year. Uh, students who are in intervention may be using it uh, more often. But what mm -hmm. it gives us is rather than that once a year snapshot, uh, we get you know, a more frequent uh, feed of information about what's going on with students. Mm -hmm. And the assessment tool that you use, I, I assume to be proprietary, the STAR assessment. Can you describe a little bit about that so that listeners will understand, you know, the source of the data that we'll be discussing? Sure. STAR is a computer adaptive assessment. So it is taken online. It responds to students' uh, responds to students' responses. So, you know, when a student gets a question right, it adapts and gives them something more difficult until they miss something and then it pulls back. Uh, it In the end result of that, it makes it one of the most efficient ways to gather information 
information. So again, for most of our users, most students, they tend to take it uh, as part of some of the federal requirements around response to intervention or multi-tiered systems of support. Uh, fall, winter, and screen, excuse me, fall, winter, and spring screening. Um, and I liken that to like, you know, going for a physical exam. You know, we know we're supposed to go once a year and see our doctor. And, you know, if nothing's found out then, we come back in a year. Mm -hmm. uh, so for most kids, this is a fall, winter, spring kind of thing. Uh, in the case of our STAR assessments for students that are placed in intervention, if they start receiving additional extra services, then they may take the test more often. And then it provides uh, what psychometricians would refer to as progress monitoring data mm -hmm. so that we can see at a very granular level how well students are growing in relation to growth goals that are set for them to determine whether the instructional match that they're currently in with their intervention is a good one or whether some uh, change in placement is necessary. Right. The, the how kids are performing, um, I, I'm going to say a suite of studies, wasn't yeah. just done once. My understanding was that you did longitudinal analyses prior to the most recent release. Is that correct? That, that is correct. We went all the way back. If you think about, you know, we had that first really disrupted spring uh, where, you know, COVID kind of hit and then kids came mm -hmm. back in in the fall. Uh, and that's the first time we took a snapshot there, uh, beginning with longitudinal studies. Then all the way up through the most uh, recent round that you know we're talking about today and so far it has been reports so we were bringing them out at a certain cadence in a very much report form we are finalizing plans uh, for an interactive website uh, where again at you know midpoint in the year and at the end of the years uh, people will be able to go in and see um, you know that's why we use the title how kids are performing mm -hmm. um, and so uh, this next round will be a completely long-term view going all the way back to 2017-18 school year mm -hmm. so you know two kind of normal years prior to the pandemic heading and then you can see you know the pandemic coming in in full force and and, and those types of things uh, so yeah it has been a series and so it's been an evolving picture sure. of what's going on. So the 2022 study, uh, which, which is described as being a snapshot, what were your objectives in taking the snapshot at that time? In other words, yeah. you know, you'd had longitudinal data before you're doing comparisons with the snapshot. Why was that the moment in time that you thought was so important? Well, let me offer one thing about the report itself and then uh, what the ultimate question was. Uh, the mm -hmm. first thing is there are some other reports that are similar in nature. Other providers out there that do what we do have been doing the same thing. Uh, two things that are important about this report is, one, it's the largest sample size of any of those reports. Secondly, it's the largest in scope. So we were looking at kids from kindergarten through grade 12, while many of the other reports were three through eight or maybe K through eight. Mm -hmm. um, our ultimate question to answer was, is the worst of this over? Mm -hmm. um, you know, have we f at least, you know, leveled off, uh, hopefully begun to sort of, you know, gain altitude if we use a, you know, an analogy to a plane. <laughs> so that, that was first and foremost, the, the primary question of where are we in this? Are we still losing ground? Have we leveled off? Or hopefully have we begun to rebound? And, you know, the answer that we found was D, all of the above. Yeah. It depends on, you know, what grade level, what subject, or what group of kids you're looking at. So, you know, these results tend to be very mixed. And, and just one more procedural question before we start talking about some of those results. The data set was humongous. Uh, was it only domestic or was it worldwide? Um, for this report, it was only domestic. So mm -hmm. to, to quantify that for you, for the uh, reading results we're talking about, it's data from 4.6 million students. 
uh, for math. It's uh, just under 3.3 million students. That said, we are a global company. So mm -hmm. there is a sister report for this that we did uh, with uh, st students in England. Uh, and actually that was working with the Department for Education over there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as our presence here is, is very similar over there, very, very large collections of students involved. So the Department for Education actually approached us there at the national level. Uh, and worked uh, with us to use our data to get a pulse for what was going on in their schools. Mm -hmm. So, so the the headline, as I looked at the report and you know tried to draw insight from it, that that I thought was just fascinating, and, and you've alluded to, is it depends on the level of the student in terms of some of the findings that you had. Can you talk about? Can you talk about some of the differences that you saw in some of the early primary grades versus the high school grades? Because I thought that was just really interesting. Yeah. Again, there are many stories in here. You know, the first couple of rounds of the report, uh, there were instances where everybody was affected, and mm -hmm. in some ways, it was fairly similarly. Um, now the stories are becoming very varied. As a general rule of thumb. The younger the kids, uh, the more they have rebounded. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, which I think many people would have expected. Young kids often prove to be incredibly resilient. Uh, so we're seeing the most significant rebounds. Like, you know, let's use that plane analogy again. Leveling off or climbing. Um, the majority of the leveling off and all of the climbing that we are seeing uh, is being seen on our elementary grades. Mm -hmm. uh, middle school students still struggling in some areas. And as a general rule of thumb, high school students kind of lagging behind uh, everyone else. So um, that's that's kind of the nature we're seeing. The younger you are, the more you're probably coming out the other side of this and getting back to something that looks more normal. So so what's fascinating about that, and, and this this admittedly is going beyond your report, so it maybe isn't fair that I'm asking, but I'm I'm thinking back to, you know, the, the basics of cognitive psychology that you and I have both been trained in. And do you think that there is a a, a hypothesis that could be, you know, valid if 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 tested that the younger children have more elasticity um, in both their learning and also their socio-emotional development than perhaps the children or the the young adults that are later in their academic career. Could that be a potential explanation for these age differences that you observed? I think that's absolutely you know a viable. Uh, a viable look. Um, you know, we, we, if we think about the younger kids, they didn't know any different. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that was just life yeah. for them. Uh, also to the older kids, think about socially where they are in their mm -hmm. development. You know, they are reaching out and making connections and all of that was just, you know, completely side rail. So not only what they were interested in and where they were in their development was side rail, but they, they knew what the world was like before and, you know, we all were kind of grieving for that for a while. Uh, so I think it, you know, what you're talking about is it, it branches beyond, yes, we're talking about academic impacts, but many of those academic impacts are closely tied to social and emotional ones. So kids not only went through an academic trauma, they went through an emotional, a social one as well. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Inside the report, uh, you, you, you report both on the actual performance, but you also report on growth scores. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah. So we, in, in, in many states, use a scale referred to as a student growth percentile. It ranges from 1 to 99. Uh, and it's very similar to percentiles that people may know from height and weight percentiles with their children. But this one mm -hmm. is growth. Um, and so what it does is it takes students, it compares their growth to academic peers of them, kids that are in the same grade level, 
performing at basically the same area and basically places on the scale from one to 99. It's a super easy scale because 50 means that your growth was perfectly average. Anything above Mm -hmm. 50 is above average. Anything below 50 was below average. Uh, And so it is, you know, I was working with with another group and somebody said, well, you know, there's a lot of scores in here. If I look at just one, like what's the Mm -hmm. one score that I look at, it may tell me the most of the story. And to me, it is those growth percentiles because it lets you know what's going on. We we saw some very high numbers, uh, which are indicative of, of rebounding and we see some normal numbers which means kids are kind of hovering mm-hmm. again, not losing any more altitude but not regaining their height and we see some lower numbers which indicate that some groups and some grade levels are still in a bit of decline and the overall narrative about the age differences sort of uh, appeared to me to be similar for the growth scores uh, were there any particular highlights for age groups that stood out to you Absolutely. Uh, so as a general rule of thumb, and, and again, we're talking about the most recent report, but this has been a series. We've been you mm-hmm. know, studying this for years now. As a general rule of thumb, the two areas that we saw the largest impact were mathematics overall mm-hmm. and early grades reading. And the best news of the latest round is uh, there's been a tremendous amount of rebound in early grades reading, particularly for kindergarten students. In fact, they had an amazing year uh, last year. They began their kindergarten year conceivably further behind than any other group of kindergartners beginning in recent history, and they grew more. I mean, they made up all the ground and moved ahead, which was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're definitely sort of the the poster children for what some people refer to as U-shaped recovery. They are headed back up uh, to where they would have been otherwise. As you, as you think about the overall scores that you've been talking about, of course, one of the concerns uh, coming out of the pandemic, but it, it existed before the pandemic as well, is that there are differential achievements, uh, gains, and, and gaps as you look at different, uh, different populations, disadvantaged groups, et cetera. Uh, as you disaggregated some of the scores, did you find anything um, worth mentioning about subgroups? Yeah, unquestionably. Uh, and there's both good news and bad news there. Uh, the good news is, is across the board, everybody's growth rates have climbed. So it, it doesn't matter your race or ethnicity or uh, whether you're in a urban school, suburban, rural, high poverty, low poverty. The good news is this last round of data is growth is up across the board. Mm-hmm. The bad news is for some groups is that their growth is up, but it's still below that 50 number that I gave. Right. You know, so if I if I identify, for example, you know, a, a certain ethnic subgroup, I may be saying, oh, well, you know, their 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 points, you know, they climbed six points on that scale, but they're now at 47. So they went from 41 to 47, which mm-hmm. is great that they went up, but they're still behind. So when we start seeing again that you know, anything below that 50 number indicates a, you know potential for slide, and the lower it goes, the more concern uh, there is, and there's no. There's no magic there. I mean, if you think about the racial and ethnic groups and students in poverty who are often, you know, the most impacted by disruptions and we're struggling the most anyway, this has made for them a bad situation even worse. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, uh, you know, where Athens is located in rural Ohio, 
Um, you do have economic disparities uh, in, in those yeah. sorts of issues here. And and so in a real practical sense, it meant that the kids, when they were learning remote, were having to go to parking lots of you know places that had Wi-Fi. Otherwise, they would not be able to access their lessons. And, um, Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in, in turning to uh, some of the well, – well, first, before we talk about the recommendations of the report, you know, you, you stated that your objective was to try to gain some insight on whether we had hit the bottom and we're working out of it. Do you come to a conclusion on that? Yeah. What I would say is it, it, there seems to be every indication that kids at, say, the fifth grade level and below, they are, they are beyond the bottom and they are climbing mm-hmm. again. Um, there's, it's sort of a mixed bag uh, in the middle grades uh, years where you know, there's still some up, there's some down. And, and here, here's, here is some good news. I told you that early grades reading had been very impacted. We saw that mm-hmm. rebound. The other thing that we didn't get to was the mathematics area, which had been the most impacted, has also been the largest rebound. Mm-hmm. Um, now, everyone asks me when we talk about our, our data, they'll say, why did this happen? <laughs> and, and there's nothing about our research design here that can prove causality. So the mm-hmm. best I can offer is a story. I think what's been going on in terms of the rebound that we saw in mathematics and the rebound that we saw with the early grades reading is, our report and others highlighted that as an area of concern, and people worked on that. So, um, you know, in the case of reading, we weren't talking about it as much because it wasn't as impacted, but it's also not rebounded as much. So it's right. almost like people, they heard our narrative and or saw it in their own data, took actions, worked on it, and addressed it. It's just, it's going to take more time. Uh, so, you know, things are beginning to trend in the right way, particularly elementary schools, so much so in the middle school, our high school kids are still really, really struggling. Uh, And again, you know, we kind of alluded to that. For them, this was that double whammy of academics and a very pivotal point in their life socially. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, one of your, one of the recommendations in the report uh, was the need for um, what I'm going to describe as heightened screening for those students still in high school. And it it made a really interesting link to the fact that their clock is running out. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about recovery. Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the, one of the best articles that I saw about recovery came from the Center for Assessment in Dover, New Hampshire. And they said, you know, what do you mean recovery? Do you mean we're back to growing kids at a normal rate? Or do you mean they're back to where they would have been otherwise? Those are two related yeah. but different things. Yeah. So, you know, they use letter shapes to kind of talk about what could happen. A V is a decline and you go right back up pretty quickly. You can mm-hmm. see it, you know, and you should think about the shape of the letter. An L is you ha- you have an impact to school like COVID. And so things go down. Well, there's the drop of the L. And then you start getting average growth. There's the foot of the L. But the problem is you're not getting kids back to where they were before. Right. And then the other form of recovery is you, which is you go down. And then over time, you go right back up. All of these things take time. So, you know, V-shaped recovery, nobody experienced that. That just didn't happen. This mm-hmm. thing went on too long for any group of kids to have a V-shaped recovery. What we're talking about now is, is it an L, which is we're growing them normally, but they're not closing the gap to where they were, or is it a U? And the U takes time. So, you know, if mm-hmm. you're a first grader, we've got you, you know, for another 11 years to right. work on getting you back. If you're a junior in high school, you've got much less time on that clock. Uh, so, you know, the, the recovery shapes are going to play out in different ways. And sometimes that's purely driven by how much time do we have with you? 
Yeah, you know, uh, I uh, just to relate a narrative from my own perspective, which is more higher ed with college students. The way that we would describe some of this process that you're that you're talking about is that we had essentially two, maybe two and a half cohorts of students in our programs that did not have an opportunity to do experiential learning on campus, did not have an opportunity to do um, the same types of internships and off-campus experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also just had a very different classroom experience because so much of it was remote or going back and forth. Um, I think the same thing is happening in my age group as well. Yeah. And our our data would suggest you're going to have another crop or two of kids. Yeah. yeah. Like, but, but also too, when we think about the youngest kids, you know, this rebound that we saw with kindergartners, you know, I think the reason they dropped so much was their preschool experience had been radically altered. Uh-huh. You know, kids who normally would have been in, in preschool or daycare or some more formal setting, they didn't go. They weren't yeah. there. So it was less exposure, not only to shapes and letters and sounds, but even just the the social aspect of being in a group and making your way through, you know, the day. So God bless kindergarten teachers because, <laughs> you know, kids showed up not only, you know, far behind in terms of their academic needs, but for many of the kids for the last couple of years, it's been their first day ever away from home in that setting. Yeah. Uh, and so there were, you know, different <laughs> social impacts to them as well. Again, ones they've proven to be more resilient around, but, you know, substantial impacts nonetheless. So systemically, uh, I mean, you've talked about some of the recommendations then that that focus more on the higher age level students. What about some of the recommendations that you you know you you concluded were important for those younger age groups that maybe didn't you know you see them rebounding, but you still want to have a good strategy for them moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you alluded to one we talked about additional screening, and you know, I, I liken it this way. I think often medical analogies work well in relation to assessment. Uh, also, if you'd been through a trauma, uh, a medical trauma, what's your doctor going to do? They're going to monitor you more closely for some period of time. So that was clearly one of our recommendations. Uh, the other thing is, uh, as we've said, yes, the recovery has begun, but we've got we've got a while to go. Uh, so schools need to avail themselves upon all options that they have for time before school, after school, uh, summer school, enrichment programs, those types of things. Uh, you know. We've been looking a lot at summers, and there's a lot of narrative around Mm -hmm. summer schools of, you know, we can't afford right now for summer to be a time period where kids are off or experience any degree of regression. Uh, I'm not saying every kid in the country needs to be in a formal summer school. That's certainly not the case. But uh, we also can't be completely away from all things academic. So a little bit of independent reading in the summer, a little bit of math practice, those types of things go a long way and making sure that during the couple of months that they're away from our buildings, they don't regress because we just can't afford uh, any regression there. So, you know, monitor kids more closely, uh, avail yourself uh, and utilize all the extra time that you can find, particularly mm-hmm. for those kids that have been the most impacted. Uh, and, you know, approaches like accelerated learning that are very popular right now, you know, zoning right on, on exactly what kids need in terms of remediation to build them back up to grade level content. These things are all very important. Well, and based upon the data trends, I mean, that that point you just made about zeroing in on, uh, you know, sort of an accelerated adaptive strategy for students, 
I mean, based upon where the trends are going, what are some of the strategies that, you know, if I, if I'm sitting out in a school district, I hear this podcast and I want to go back to, you know, talk with the staff about what we need to think about in terms of summer of 23 or, you know, thereafter, what are some of the strategies that will be most important for continued success? Well, I think it really is diving into what do people mean when they say accelerated learning? So that's Mm -hmm. not just let's do it better and faster. Those are particular pedagogical approaches. We learned a lot in looking at recovery after Hurricane Katrina. So our modern narrative around accelerated learning is is based on analyses of the different approaches that schools took post-Katrina. So those are very specific strategies which basically work to maximize the amount of on-grade level content that kids have. It doesn't mean that kids don't do off-grade level content. Mm -hmm. So if I'm teaching you seventh grade math, uh, I'm going to try and do as much seventh grade math content as, as I can Basically, what the rule says is if you need to review something that is off grade level, only go back and do what kids need like right in that moment. So if I'm doing a unit on geometry, if I have to go all the way back to you know sixth grade or fifth grade geometry stuff, that's fine. I can do previous grade level content. But every single thing that I'm reviewing with you in that moment is to help you access the grade level unit that we're doing at the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, learn more about the accelerated learning, what people really mean in terms of those strategies. And we actually, you know, our first response during COVID was to post a uh, interactive website called our Focus Skills Resource Center. So if you go to renaissance.com forward slash focus skills with a dash between those two words, we have identified at each grade level the most essential skills for progress in reading and math tailored to the standards of each state. So when a teacher is saying, I want to know what the most important stuff is, we can show them that. Uh, and, and they can even see their prerequisites. So if I'm dealing with my most essential topics for seventh grade geometry unit and mathematics, if my kids are struggling with that, I can pivot immediately back to sixth grade. And that's something we've made available to all schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of our, our contribution to the recovery effort uh, during you know the immediate time period right as the pandemic hit us. One of the constant conversations that I find myself having about COVID is, you know, to obviously recognize the fact that it it impacted wellness, not just physical, but also mental for, for almost all of us. I mean, nobody escaped that, but there's also lessons to learn from it. So as, as somebody that's immersed in education data and achievement data, what were some of the lessons that you learned from the COVID experience and, and specifically that Renaissance wants to try to focus on moving forward? Well, I think we've alluded to part of that is we, yes, of course, have a primary mission of teaching kids academically, but we also have to deal with the social emotional as well. Mm -hmm. So we've been trying to expand our portfolio into more around the social emotional piece. You know, how do we gauge that? How do we support students with that? Because, you know, social and emotional uh, concerns will eat academic stuff in a minute. I, I remember when I was a teacher, um, I, you know, you, you sense that something's up with a kid. There was this girl who was just like, she was just about to explode. Well, what had happened was she'd broken up with her boyfriend who was <laughs> in the same classroom on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. I could, and finally I just like, Shelby, can I see you in the hall for a minute? We stepped outside and she's like, I need to just get away from him right now. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole point was, it didn't matter how, how wonderful the lesson was that I designed. It didn't matter what was going on in that moment. In that moment, nothing mattered to her, but she'd broken up with him. He had cheated on her and he was sitting on the other side of the room. There was nothing that I was saying and doing academically that was going to get through to her. <laughs> and the best thing I could do was to acknowledge that and give her a little bit of time 
to go walk the halls for a little while and come back with a clearer head. Then we could get back to the academic. Yeah, I, I tell you what, my, my daughter is, uh, she's a senior at OU and she's going through her student teaching right oh, now at a, at a school just outside of Athens. And she's learning that lesson every day yeah. <laughs> in the classroom. Yeah, so. yeah it's, it's, it's true. We all, we all are emotional beings. And when that is off center, uh, you know, it, it's going to trump everything else. So we are teaching children holistically you know, and they come with all of that. So some come with more needs, some are, you know, more self-sufficient in that case, but they, they all come to us and they all need us for the different things. We just have to be prepared to do the best we can in all those areas. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that uh, the plan uh, with Renaissance is that you will continue collecting data. You're going to create an interactive website. What do you hope to provide uh, users of that website? What kind of uh, information might they be able to use it for? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, again, we want to know uh, how does comp- how does performance currently compare to both pre-pandemic and then what do you look at it over time? So, you know, imagine being able to go in and choose a grade level, choose reading or math, and then be able to see a performance metric and a growth metric. I, I kind of liken it to, you know, at certain points during the day, you might log on to, you know, like a you know, website for finance and you check on the stock, you know, how's Johnson & Johnson doing or how's mm-hmm. some company doing? You know, that's a daily total. We'll have, you know, semi annual kind of totals there, but to log on and see how our kids doing all the way back. We'll begin with 2017-18 data. So we'll have two normal years and then all the mm-hmm. period. I say all the period through the pandemic, we'll, we'll have this big gaping hole at the end of 2019-2020 uh, because no testing occurred, no state testing, yeah. no interim. So you'll be, you know, imagine a line that's kind of showing you the trend across the period. And a little small section of that would be grayed out because we just don't have any data to report there. Yeah. Uh, but that was one of the things is we've been providing these sort of you know, really close up granular snapshots. It's now time for us to take a few steps back from it. I mean, we're making it, you know, God willing to the other side of, you know, the, the worst impacts of this, we're getting back to life. It feels pretty normal. Now it's time for us to take a couple steps back and say, okay, now when I look at this over the last, you know, five or six years, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what, and we, we, we plan for while the report vision was, okay, we'll do this, you know, while COVID's hitting until we're kind of back. We kind of anticipate that that site, uh, which will, will be at the same place, renaissance.com forward slash performing, um, that that site will be something that will be maintained indefinitely uh, so mm-hmm. that we can continue to look at our data in the same way that we look at NAEP data annually. Uh, we can just provide a, a parallel and a, a shorter cycle feed on how kids are performing. So I think my my last question for Eugene, you you've been involved in education either as a you know as a teacher or administrator or or now a, a researcher, um, you know your entire career, mm-hmm. and I think it's unquestionable that data are becoming part and parcel of being an educator. What do you see going forward as being the promise of that? But also, what are the risks that? you want people to be aware of as they're taking on a mentality of having database decision-making, you know, sort of guide their, their future. Yeah. I mean, um, you're, you're right. I mean, my, my entire career has been education. It's not just my career. I'm a third generation educator. So my grandmother mm-hmm. taught in one room schoolhouses in Southwestern Virginia and in Western West Virginia or Southern West Virginia. So uh, I feel like I've grown up with the data driven 
kind of movement because when I started, you know, all those years ago, we didn't have these assessment tools. We didn't yeah. have the, you know, the visualizations and the data warehouses and all those types of things. And, and 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 I love what one of my mentors, Judy Paul, she said, without a without data, you're just a guy with an opinion. <laughs> so it, it's great for us to have data that actually let us know whether something is working, something is responding. So I think this this all adds a whole element. That said, there's two things I think that we must always keep in our mind. Number one, we have to continue to invest in building teachers. I don't say data literacy. I say assessment literacy mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, assessments are tools. And it's kind of like a tack hammer, sledgehammer, regular hammer. You know, you got to know which one to pick up for which job you're doing. And, and that takes some training. So I've been very blessed to work with a tremendous number of psychometricians and researchers who have taught me so much. So I think we've got to invest in building, and I said teachers, all just the educators, all, all of us, we all need to build assessment literacy so that we understand what those assessments actually can say and how far they, they go. The other thing we have to realize is kind of related to that statement of how far they go is, as I said, we, we know how to get an incredibly accurate picture of students academically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just now learning that social emotional piece. Uh, yeah. And so there are measures. We have one called Sabres. Uh, you know, there are some measures there and it, it's just a harder area. I mean, uh, that's just, uh, it's not as easily quantifiable. So we need to understand the tools we have, what they can do, and then we need to know what we don't know and what we can't capture. And again, acknowledge that human beings are, are emotional as well as they are academic. And again, they come commingled in, in one being and we have to deal with the totality of that. So looking at kids holistically. That's a great message to end on. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and and I wish you the best of luck as you continue to provide resources for uh, teachers and, and school districts. Thank you. We Again, we appreciate the opportunity. You bet. My guest today is Dr. Gene Kearns. He's the Vice President and Chief Academic Officer at Renaissance. We've been discussing a report recently released by Renaissance called How Are Kids Performing? And uh, we will have a link uh, to that report on the Renaissance website that will be in the text accompanying this podcast in case uh, you would like to look at that in more detail. Uh, Thank you all for listening today. Our audio engineer and associate producer, as always, is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth, your host. If you have ideas, thoughts, or comments about the Teaching Matter podcast or, or just want to get in touch with us, feel free to reach out by email or through our social media. We would love to hear from you. We hope everyone has a great day and best of luck as you're uh, trying to finish up your school years. Mm -hmm.